Let's look this morning in the book of Mark, chapter number 1. We'll begin reading with verse number 9. The Bible says that it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. This morning we're going to look at some lessons from the wilderness. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that that your word is very practical. I thank you that there are some lessons that we can learn through the lives of other people in the word of God that will help us live our lives. God, I just pray for those that are here today, and no doubt in a, in, in a, in a, a congregation this size, there are people today who are going through the wilderness. They're going through difficult times in their life. God, I just pray today that you will help them, and God, help us to glean from this word today. Encourage us, lift us up, anoint us by your Spirit, give us ears to hear the word, and God, may we put in practice what we learn today. All for your glory we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. I wish that I could tell you that every life begins with once upon a time and ends with, and they lived happily ever after. And that only good things will happen in between. I'd love to be able to say that. I I wish that I could tell you that if you will only turn your life over to Jesus, if if you would only just serve Jesus, that, that Jesus would place you in some kind of a protective bubble. A protective bubble where you would be spared from all of the hardships and the disappointments and the trials of life. I would love to be able to tell you that Jesus would say to the devil, No way, Jose. You can't tempt that one. You can't harass that one. You can't mess with that one. Uh, That one has a shield on. I remember, I don't know if they still do it, but when I was a little kid in school, you know, we were always giving people somebody else's cooties. Remember that? And they would come and touch you and say, you have so-and-so's cooties. But, oh, no, we got smart, didn't we, somewhere along the way. And when they would come to me and they would say, you have so-and-so's cooties. No, I have a shield on. I would love to be able to tell you this morning that, that, that God would say uh, to the devil, you, you, can't give, you can't give them your cooties because they've got a shield on. You can't touch them. You can't harass them. You can't mess with them. That, uh, that one is special. Oh that one, oh, that one is not subject to your tricks and to your schemes and to your ploys. 
But as bad as I wish I could tell you this, if I did, I would be lying to you. I would be giving you false information. The title of my message today is Lessons from the Wilderness. In our scripture for today, Jesus is, is recognized and affirmed by his heavenly Father. The Bible says that, that, that the sky parts and the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And the Bible says that a voice comes from heaven that says, You are my beloved Son and I am very pleased with you. I don't know about you this morning, but listen, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's miraculous and supernatural and, and absolutely, totally amazing. And yet, the Bible says that on the very same day that Jesus enjoys this, this incredible, unbelievable, spiritual mountaintop experience. Oh, on the very same day before the day was finished, he found himself alone in the middle of the wilderness being harassed by the devil. Let's take a close look at this scripture this morning and see what lessons we can learn from the wilderness. The first lesson that I think we should learn from the wilderness this morning is, and that is spiritual perfection won't exempt you from the wilderness. Spiritual perfection will not exempt you from the wilderness. When bad things happen to good people, they often say, why me? Why me? Why am I battling sickness? Why am I experiencing family problems? Why did I lose my job? Why am I being criticized? I mean, I mean by the, you know, because I pay my tithe and, and I give to missions and, and, and I'm faithful to church and, you know, I don't smoke, drink, dip or chew or go with girls who do. Why me? Why me? But I believe that perhaps a better question might be, why not me? Instead of us oh, asking ourselves, why me? Why don't we ask the question, why not me? Am I somehow special? Am I somehow better than everybody else? Do I deserve some special exemption? Am I better than Jesus? Because he was the son of God and perfect in every way. And yet even Jesus wasn't exempt from the wilderness experience. Even Jesus had to battle temptation. Even Jesus was tested and tempted and tried and harassed by the devil. Jesus was rejected by the, by the people that he loved the very most. He was criticized. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. He experienced disappointments and betrayal. Oh, oh he, he knew what it was like to suffer. Lesson number one this morning, spiritual perfection will not exempt you from the wilderness. John chapter 15 and verse 20 says, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. And in John chapter 17 and verse 14, the Bible says, Jesus said, the world is going to hate you because you are not like the world. We sit around and sing the blues and, and you know, we're getting picked on, you know, because we're Christian and, and we're getting picked on because of our beliefs and because of our, well, of course we are. Jesus said, the world is going to hate you because you are not like the world. 
Spiritual perfection will not exempt you from the wilderness. The fact is, the closer that you get to Jesus, the the more of a threat you become to the devil. And the closer you get to Jesus, the bigger the target gets on your back. Let's move on. The second lesson we can learn from our scripture today about the wilderness is we are often led there by God. What? I said we are often led there by God. Verse number 12, the Bible says immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Who drove Jesus into the wilderness? Pastor, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Why would the Holy Spirit lead me? Why would the Holy Spirit lead you into the wilderness? Well, let me give you three reasons. One this morning possibly is is to prove us. To prove us. Now, this is exactly what God did with Job. Remember him? You know, the guy with the boils? God allowed Satan to do anything that he wanted with Job with one exception, that, the, that he could not take his life. He could not kill him. And God did this to prove Job and prove Job's love and loyalty and dedication to him. Somebody said talk is cheap. And it is. You see, anybody can boast of their love for God. Anybody can sing love songs that somebody else has written to God. The proof comes in the wilderness. The proof comes when all hell is pointed in your direction, when the flaming arrows of the devil are pointed at the target that's on your back. Anybody can serve God when when their love tank is full at home. Anybody can serve God when the bank account is bulging and the boss is singing your praises. Anybody can serve God when the sky is blue and the sun is out and the birds are singing. But what happens when you suddenly discourage your, you, you, you suddenly dis, discover yourself in the middle of the wilderness being harassed by your worst enemy? Why in the world would the Holy Spirit lead us into the wilderness? First of all, to prove us, to make us prove that we really do love God, that we really do love Him. Job had to prove his love to God by being tested, by going into the wilderness. God said, To the devil, man, look at this guy. Look at my boy here, Job, man. He is perfect in every way. He loves me. He serves me. He's everything to me. And the devil said, well, who in the world wouldn't serve you? Man, you blessed his socks off. And you built this hedge of protection around him where I can't get to him. Well, my goodness, why? Who wouldn't serve God like that? You You don't know if he loves you or not. Who wouldn't love you and who wouldn't serve you with all the blessings that you've poured and heaped upon him? The devil said to God, you pulled down that hedge of protection and you let me tempt him and test him and try him. You let me turn him every way but loose. You let me turn him up by, and, and, and shake him by his heels. Amen. You let me add him and I'll prove to you that he doesn't really love you. And God said, I'll prove to you that he does love me. Now, I don't like it any better than you do. 
God sometimes leads us into the wilderness to prove us. Not only does he lead us into the wilderness to prove us, but also to prepare us. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. You know the story. Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, Joseph sees himself as a ruler. Sees himself as top dog, man. I mean, you know, you know, big cheese, the cat's meow, man. I mean, everybody's bowing down to him, man. He is it. What a dream. The only problem was he wasn't ready. He was a little delicate. A little bit spoiled. He was daddy's favorite. He was inexperienced. He was not ready for leadership. And so Joseph was led by God into the wilderness. It started in the pit. It moved into the prison. It moved into persecution. And God using all of these things to prepare Joseph to become the man that could actually fulfill his dream. He, could, he was not the man that could fulfill the dream when he got the dream. So God had to get him ready. God had to get him prepared. And he prepared him by leading him into the wilderness. And so it is with us. Sometimes he allows and sometimes even directs us into uncomfortable situations and circumstances in order to prepare us for his incredible plan that he has for our life. Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. The Bible didn't say that God causes everything, but it says that God causes everything that does happen in our life to work together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He puts it all together and He uses every bit of it. Every circumstance, every situation, every relationship, every difficulty, every good thing every hard thing, every bad thing. He uses everything that happens in our life, amen, to get glory and to prepare us for His will in our life. The Bible says that after Joseph's wilderness experience was ended, he said to his brothers, who by the way were used to begin Joseph's wilderness experience, Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he said, you meant this for evil. You meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. See, not everything that happens to us in life is good. But God uses everything that happens in our lives to somehow produce good. Notice one more reason why God leads us into the wilderness. Sometimes he leads us into the wilderness to purify us. And that's exactly what God did with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul writes, and he says, Because I have been given so many supernatural revelations from God. I've seen, I've experienced, I've heard in the Spirit things that no other man has ever heard. And because, he said, I have been given so many supernatural revelations from God, he said, in order to keep me from becoming proud, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. You see, man has a tendency to become arrogant and proud, and, and especially when, when things are going well for him. See, see man is quick to, to blame others when things go bad and swift to take the credit when things go well. I, I love the, the story of the two geese and the frog. And, and the pond where the two geese and the frog uh, lived dried up. No problem for the geese. They could just fly uh, to another pond. Not so easy for the frog to relocate. They'd become friends. And they wanted to relocate to the same pond. And so... And so one day, the farmer who owned the land where the dried-up pond was, was couldn't believe what he was seeing as he looked up in the sky and couldn't believe what he was seeing. He saw these two geese who each held one end of a stick in their mouths. And the frog had fastened on to the middle of the stick and was holding on for Dear life, with his mouth as the two geese friends were flying their frog friend to another pond. And the old farmer said out loud, wow, what an ingenious idea this is. He said out loud, I wonder who was so clever. I wonder whose idea this was. And the frog could not resist opening his mouth and said, Mine! Splash. Sometimes God leads us into the wilderness to purify us. Because he loves us and doesn't want us to become puffed up like Lucifer became in the beginning, which led to his demise and separation from God. See, see, sometimes we get a little bit too big for our own britches, as Mama used to say to us. And because we get a little bit too big for our own britches, sometimes God, God has to take us and lead us into the wilderness in order to humble us, in order to purify. Now, I understand this morning that this kind of preaching is not too popular today. I I know that we don't like to hear this kind of preaching uh, today. But listen, it's what I see in Scripture. And I don't know about you, but Scripture trumps popular opinion in my book every single time. All right, let's look at another lesson we can learn from the wilderness experience of Jesus. We can learn this lesson, and that is sometimes the wilderness comes immediately following a spiritual high. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus is being baptized in water by John the Baptist. 
As Jesus is coming up out of the water, the heavens split in two and and the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven in the form of a dove and rests on Jesus, anointing and empowering Him for ministry. And then a voice comes booming forth from heaven as God the Father declares, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's almost like like God the Father is like an earthly father whose son hits a home run and he stands up in the stands and he says, That's my boy that's my boy and I'm proud of him talk about a spiritual high can can you even imagine how big the goosebumps might have been on the back of Jesus Surely Jesus would be allowed to bask in that glory for a little while. Maybe he could build a building there. Perhaps have people from all over the world come and he could tell them his story of this incredible supernatural experience. Maybe he could then write a book. And then after he wrote the book, maybe he could go on a book tour. And then maybe he could rent... Or he could get on Christian TV and talk about his experience. And then he could rent arenas and civic centers. How? And can you imagine all the people that would come out to hear his incredible story? Man, Jesus could milk this experience for years. But no. What does the Bible say? Verse 12, immediately, say immediately. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The lesson we need to understand today is sometimes the wilderness comes immediately following a spiritual high. You've experienced it, haven't you? You know, the the glory comes down on a Sunday morning. I mean, my Mexican jumping bean is jumping four feet off of the ground. Oh, oh, you've experienced it, haven't you? Oh, the glory comes down on a Sunday morning. Oh, oh, the goosebumps break out on your back, man. The Shondai's come flying out of your mouth. And I mean, even your toes tingle. And you leave church on top of the world, but you wake up on Monday morning feeling like the world is on top of you. Sometimes the wilderness comes immediately following a spiritual high. Here's what I've come to know about spiritual highs. Number one, they're not meant to be permanent. Spiritual highs, they are not meant to be permanent. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. And the Bible says that on top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured before their very eyes. The Bible says that his true glory radiates through him to the point even his clothes sparkle and glisten. The Bible says that miraculously somehow Moses and Elijah appear with them on the mountain. 
You talk about a spiritual high. Can you imagine the gamut of emotions that these, oh, two of, uh, that, that this trio of disciples must have felt? And Peter speaks up. Of course he does. And Peter speaks, speaks up and Peter says, Lord, it's good. Oh, this is good. It's good for us. To be here. Oh, oh, Jesus, why don't we build three tabernacles? One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. Oh, oh, hey, guys, let's never leave here. Let's live in the glory. But the problem with this is spiritual highs are not meant to be permanent. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I've lived in trouble for the last 43 years, so I'll live through this one too. But people criticize the church today for having less services than they used to have. I remember when we, when we lingered all night long, they say, night after night after night. I do too. I know what it was like to be drugged to church six weeks in a row, seven nights a week. As a kid growing up, be there till two in the morning because I'm the preacher's kid, fall asleep underneath the pew. You better get underneath the pew because sister better than you just might come by and spike you with her heels as she shouts by. I know all about it. And I'm not putting it down. But I'm going to tell you something. The truth is, the church doesn't need more services. Sure is quiet in this first church of the frigid air. <laughs> the truth is, the church doesn't need more services. The truth is, the church needs to do more services. The problem is, we're concentrating on how to have church better than everybody else is having church. The problem is we're concentrating on having church when we ought to be concentrating on being the church. I believe the church needs to gather and get filled up with the glory of God. And then the church needs to go out into the world and empty out God's glory on the world. And then it needs to come back again and gather again and gather up some of God's glory and then go back out into the world and empty it out again. Amen. We don't need more services. We need to do more service. Amen. We need to start being the church. Not stop having church and start being the church. Stop leaving the church grumbling and complaining because we don't do church like we used to do or we don't do as much church as we used to do. It's time we stop grumbling and complaining and it's time that we realize that it's a day when we better get out of this church and we better let our light shine and we better go out and tell a lost world about Jesus and we better go out and be a light in a dark world. That leads me to the second thing I've learned. Not only are spiritual highs not meant to be permanent, they're meant to be purposeful. 
I'm not picking on this revival. I went, I was blessed. When I went to the Brownsville revival, I watched. And people would come down and get prayed for and they'd fall. They'd get back up and run around to the line and get back. And I saw some people come back three and four times. Oh, they're just going after God. There's a time to stop going after God and start going and doing for God. And if your spiritual high and your spiritual experiences for you doesn't go any further than to just make you feel good, you've missed it all. Amen? See, our spiritual highs and supernatural experiences are a part of God's process of preparing us for what lies ahead, whether that be good or whether that be bad. The supernatural experience that Jesus had in Mark 1 prepared him for his 40-day battle with Satan in the wilderness. The supernatural experience of the Mount of Transfiguration prepared Jesus to come down off of the mountain and do for someone what no other person was able to do for that person. See, See, I wonder how often we waste our spiritual highs and our spiritual encounters. I wonder how many times we have built little tabernacles and little monuments for ourselves on our mountaintops instead of coming down off of the mountaintop and doing something with our experience. And I wonder how much we really seek the face of God or are we secretly seeking His hand? One more lesson we can learn from the wilderness this morning. Sometimes the wilderness, sometimes the wilderness lasts a long time. For Jesus, the wilderness lasted 40 days. For Job, many commentators believe it was at least several months, perhaps as long as a year. Joseph, he experienced 13 years of preparation in the wilderness on his journey from the pit to the palace. Sometimes the wilderness lasts a long time. David was somewhere around 15 when Samuel anointed him king. He didn't actually take the throne until he was 30. Most of those 15 years David spent in the wilderness. Sometimes the wilderness lasts a long time. I'll say it again this morning. I know none of us like to hear sermons like this. We, we want to hear about a Santa Claus type of God who's always handing out gifts and toys. And I'll be the first to tell you that God is a good God. Not only is He a good God, He is a great God. And I believe that He does pass out gifts and blessings. But in his sovereignty and in his omniscience, in his infinite wisdom, he also knows the benefit of the wilderness experience.
experience. Even Jesus needed the wilderness experience or the Holy Spirit would not have led him into the wilderness. Even Jesus had to be tested. Even Jesus had to be tried. Even Jesus had to be proven. Even Jesus had to go through Worship team can get back in place very quickly and very quietly, please. I'm not finished. Please focus on me and not on them. Now, you might be thinking today, Pastor, don't you have anything positive for us today? Don't you have anything to encourage us with? Absolutely. You will never leave this church when I'm preaching without an encouraging word. I do have an encouraging word for you this morning. And here it is. Here it is. Even though the wilderness can last a long time sometimes yet, yet the wilderness experience is always temporary. There will be an end to your wilderness experience. And the other encouraging word that I have for you today is, and that is that God is there with you during your wilderness experience. For the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Yershak, I mean Abednego, who was thrown into the burning fiery furnace and the thermostat turned up seven times hotter than it was intended to be. So hot that those that threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not even in the fire, but on the outside, the heat was so hot that they perished. But when King Nebi got curious because he heard some sounds, and they were not horrific sounds of someone screaming and dying, no. And he looked into the fire, and he said to his counselors, he said, did we not? Did we not indeed cast three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah, there were three. That was only three. Yeah, only three. He said, yeah. He said, but I see four men in there. And he said, the form of the fourth man is like unto the Son of God. Oh, God will put you in the fire sometimes. He will lead you into the wilderness. But I'm telling you that when you get into the wilderness, if you'll just look around, you'll find that Jesus is already there. Jesus, the angels, came to the wilderness and strengthened him. For Daniel, for Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den. But God sent an angel into the lion's den. The good news is today there is an end in sight. There is an end to your wilderness. You go into the wilderness, but there's an end to it. I don't know where the end is. It's sooner than other for others than for some than others. But there's an end to it. And while we're in the wilderness, Jesus is in there with us. Now I have three other lessons from the wilderness. How many want to stay and hear that today? Well, not a very big show of hands. The rest of you would rather come back, and so I will, we will come back. Which was my plan anyway. 
they began to play softly this morning. Would you stand with me in his presence today? I have some questions for you this morning. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed all over this room today, how many of you would lift your hand and just by lifting your hand you were saying or signifying I'm in the wilderness right now. I see your hand all over the room. I'm in the wilderness right now. Just lift it up and wave at me. I'm going through the, I'm in the wilderness right now. God bless you. Put your hand out. I wonder how many this morning would go so far. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to see. But you'd lift your hand and by lifting your hand you would say this. I'm fighting the battle with bitterness and anger. And I have even questioned God and his love for me while I've been in this wilderness. Is that you this morning? Let me see your hand all over the room this morning. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you all over this room. Thank you. Just this past week as I was visiting someone who's going through an incredible, incredible struggle. Just had a meltdown and just said, Pastor, Pastor, I've even questioned God and God's love. Hey, we've all been there. If you hadn't been there, let me encourage you some more. You're headed there. (laughs) Don't you come, just get encouraged today. Maybe you're here this morning, you could answer this third question. I'm at the end of my rope. I've already tied a knot at the end. And my hand is slipping. Is that you this morning? Let me see your hand all over this room. God bless you in the back. Anyone else be honest enough or you are here? I'm at that point where I've tied the knot at the end of the rope. I'm hanging on for dear life, but my hands are slipping. All right, there were probably, I don't know, 20, 25 people that lifted their hand this morning that for one of these three things, either you're in the wilderness right now or you're fighting the battle of bitterness or anger, question God and his love. And then at least one that I'm at the very end of the rope. I've tied the knot in the end and I'm holding on. But my hand is slipping. All of you that lifted your hand this morning, don't be embarrassed. We could all answer this altar call at one time or another. But I just, I don't always do this, but I want to just bring you down this morning. I want to bring you down this morning. So just get out of your seat and come on down. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Keep on coming. Maybe you didn't lift your hand this morning. Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you know you should have lifted your hand. Maybe you know you should have, but you didn't. Now's your time. Just join in with these. It's easier to come when others are coming. Come on in close, because I'm going to get the rest of the people down here also. Come on in close. All right, I'm going to pray for these that are here this morning. Come on in close. Come on in so we can get everybody down here, or at least everybody come forward. 
While I'm praying for you, I want everyone else to come in and stand behind because I want everyone at the altar before we're done. So while I'm praying, now's your time to just come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I know some situations, but I don't know all the situations. I know situations that are represented here today that, frankly, I don't know how in the world they've survived, how they've kept their faith, God. God, I, 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 I know some situations, Lord, where it, it resembles, it gets really pretty close to Job, God. I don't understand either, and I don't have answers. God, I do know, Lord, that, that you're working, God. You're working. God, if it's something that I said today or something else, and maybe it's in the next three points that we will have at the end of this message, but, or maybe nothing that I will say at all, but the Holy Spirit uses this to say, hey, this is, this is the reason. This is it. Or maybe we never do. We never do get the answer, but God, we just, Lord, we just prove our faith. We prove our faith, God. We prove our faith, God. God, we're not just, we're not just following you for the loaves and the fishes. God, we're not just, Lord, following you for the shandais and the goosebumps and the experiences that we get. God, we're not just following you for the handouts and for the blessings. And God, we're not just following you even not just so that we can, so as a fire escape to keep us out of hell. God, we're, we're following you and we're serving you and we're living for you and we're walking with you, God, because we love you. We love you. We love you. You are our God and we love you. God, I pray for those, the host of people, Lord, that that, that came today. They're in the wilderness right now, God. God, I just pray that you will help them to realize they're not in the wilderness by themselves. God, there may not be not one other person in the wilderness with them, but God, you're with them. You're with them and help them to, Lord, to feel your presence, Lord, and and to sense your spirit, Lord, and let them know, Lord, even if they have to know by faith, oh God, that you're with them. And God, I pray for those that are battling, Lord, with bitterness. They're battling with anger, Lord. They're struggling right now. And God, God, I know you're not mad at them because of that. God, I know you know that we're dust. You know where we came from. You know that that is a human emotion, Lord. And all of us have had it. And we're all guilty. Even those that have questioned you and questioned their love. Your love for them, oh God, be with them and help them today. Help them today, God. Help them today, God. Help them today. And God, for the one, or probably more than one, but at least one that lifted a hand that said they're at the end of their rope and they've already tied a knot at the end of the rope and their hand is beginning to slip. Oh God, Lord, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that they're here in the church in the service today. They're here to hear the word, even though it was a difficult word and a tough word and a hard word, yet it is your word and there's encouragement in your word and help in your word, oh God. And God, you are working, Lord, everything out, even the bad things. You're working those things for your glory and for our benefit, God. You are leading and directing and guiding and blessing and helping, God. And God, help us to realize, Lord, that Lord, that our testimony, Lord, doesn't come, Lord, when the sun is shining and the birds are singing. And Lord, it doesn't come, Lord, when everything is working well in our lives. That testimony doesn't mean anything to someone. But God, when all hell is pointed in our direction, oh God. God, when we've lost everything, oh God, even our health. God, and yet we still hold on to our hope, oh God. And even though we struggle, yet we still, we still call on you. We still cry out to you. And they can see, yes, we're struggling, but they can see, Lord, they can see that our light is shining, and they can see, Lord, that you are helping, that you are guiding, and that you are directing, and that you are taking them through. And God, I just pray every individual today, Lord, God, I pray that they will, Lord, they will leave with an encouragement today, knowing, knowing that there's, the end is in sight for them, and that you're with them to walk through. And at the end of this, 
Just like Job, you gave him twice as much. At the end of Joseph, wilderness, he was second in command. And they did answer to him. But because he went through the wilderness, because he went through the struggle, he was a prepared leader and a gracious leader. A leader who could have lowered the boom and clipped his brothers off at the knees, but instead blessed them and provided and ministered. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me end this morning by telling you that are in the wilderness, the greatest thing you can do when you're in the wilderness is praise. The greatest thing you can do when you're in the wilderness is just get your praise on. Just praise Him. Worship Him. I remember one time when my wife was in the deepest valley she had ever walked through in her entire life. And the only thing that got her through that valley was praise. And she praised her way to victory. And so I'm going to shut up right now and I want you to lift your hands and I want you to lift your voices. And I just want you to praise your way to victory this morning. If you're in the if you're in the wilderness, you're walking through the wilderness, just praise your way to victory. Praise your way.